Hey, Coconut, so yes, I know a lot of us are a little bit more stable in our career. We have some sort of stable finances, and that's why we're exploring investing, right? We have a little bit of money sitting around, if not how to invest, right? So with that, growth stocks is definitely one of the things that people are talking about out there today. Everyone is talking about growth stocks. Everyone is trying to look for that 5x, that 10x multi-bagger. But how do you actually evaluate growth stocks? The, some of the fundamentals are the same. You use fundamental strategies to evaluate them, value growth similar. I mean, this is Let's debate, right? And we'll probably organize a debate around this with some of the more leading people in the space sometime down the road. But today, I'm going to spend some time to share with you some of the key ideas that I look out for when trying to evaluate growth stocks. Welcome back. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning, everyone. I welcome you to another day with the Financial Coconut. In our podcast, we're debunking financial myths, discovering best financial practices, and discussing financial strategies that fits our unique life. You get it. Ultimately, empowering us to create a life we love while managing our finances. Well, I am Reggie, your host, and today we're going to spend some time to talk about how do you evaluate growth stocks. Okay, there are a lot of things to talk about, but I've picked three pointers that I feel needs to be further expanded to empower you to pick your growth stocks. At least, uh, how do I put it? It may not actually grow, but at least be a little bit more cognizant of some of these things while you're evaluating all these growth companies. Lah. Okay, I need to reiterate that does not mean you listen to these three things and suddenly you can become like this super amazing growth stocks, you know, guy. You know, like pick up some of the best multi-baggers um, in the next five years. Okay, so many things to learn and we've talked about different, different evaluation strategies around different companies. Um, looking at financials, we have a whole show around this. TFC Stock Geekout, follow it. If you have not, like, share, subscribe, review, drop us a review, you know, give us five-star rating, you know, cannot, cannot buy say, right? So do all that for us and uh, help us rise the ranks in this fast-growing podcast space. So yeah, there are many ways to evaluate growth stocks and I think a lot of people have developed their own way over time. Whether it's factor investing, you know, whether is it, I don't know what else are there, but there are many, many different ways and it is true that it is a little bit hard to uh, evaluate growth stocks with just very traditional valuation models and a very traditional way of looking at things. Oh, this one's too expensive. That one's too expensive. Like growth stocks are never cheap. Nah. They rarely come cheap. Uh, only time when they're cheap is maybe, uh, it's a very big question mark whether can they survive. That's the only time when they're cheap. Because people are pricing in growth and the company is growing at like what, 40, 50, 70%. And they can maybe, you know, in next quarter, they can suddenly have a new product and then, it adds per ticket up, you know, per customer and then, oh, there's a new revenue stream. So now these growth stocks are in this fast process of just expanding, 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 expanding. It's very hard to use the traditional way to model these companies. Uh, but that does not mean you shouldn't model. You should still try to model them so that you, through this process of modeling their growth, you will question your assumptions, right? Can a company keep growing at 50% every quarter? Ah, that's how you got to ask yourself, right? <laughs> Is the finances look, looking like they can stay intact in this fast growth environment? 
uh, this one you got to ask yourself, right? Is the equity dilution sufficient right, to, to keep them growing? Uh, this one you got to ask yourself, right? So some of these things are all things you need to price into your valuation process, right? To evaluate this company on its future growth. But today, I'm not going to talk about all the things that we've talked about in the older episodes. You know, we are hundreds of episodes in. I don't know what I have talked about before already. I, you know, I've forgotten a lot of these things. Yeah. But they're all recorded, okay? All on record. Please go and take a listen. Uh, we are building playlists to help all you newer listeners to know, hey, these are the episodes to listen to if this is your particular goal. So soon, you will see this playlist and we're hoping to work with uh, different gyms, la, bowling alleys, la, you know, what, whatever you like... Uh, car sharing company to plaster all these playlists all around so that while people are on their commute and doing their repetitive stuff they could also you know enjoy TFC and welcome to our repertoire of content so if you run a company well shameless plug uh, if you run a company in this space or you work for a company in this space that you think people spend a lot of idle time or very repetitive tasks and they'll be happy to have a podcast playlist sitting around you know with this QR code very cute cute sweet sweet let us know email me at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com okay uh, but, but focus on today's topic huh? so today's topic <laughs> the first factor okay enough huh? the first factor that I think you should focus on when trying to understand uh, growth companies is total addressable market. So total addressable market is something that is uh, under-discussed, under-developed. All these growth companies will tell you, oh, we are, our total addressable market is $1 trillion, $10 trillion, you know, $500 billion, whatever you. Total addressable market essentially is the whole possible market that they can corner off or they can get. So why is this important? Because if you don't know how big the market is, you don't know how to price the growth and you don't know how to realistically model how much can it still grow. I said the total addressable market is $100 million, okay? Um, let me give you a little bit more acute story, right? a little bit more colour, right? So, okay, say Geylang Sarai Market, right? Everybody goes to Geylang Sarai Market, especially during the fasting times and before Hari Raya. So, it's been a few years. I hope they come back soon. I hope this whole thing is, you know this whole COVID thing gets settled and then we can all kind of have a little bit more festivity and whatever. But we will never go back to the old way of life, okay? There's always a, already the new normal and we'll cover some of these topics down the road. Okay, but say this whole market, every year it has 100 million worth of transaction in the market itself. So everybody comes and buy and consume and buy all sorts of stuff. And you are a Koropok vendor, okay? You sell, you are the magic, you sell Koropok. Huh? So then, you, every year, you sell $1 million worth of Koropok. You come to me as an investor, and you say, you know, I want to raise money and grow my Koropok business. Or I want to grow my Koropok business. And then I ask you, what is your total addressable market? You cannot tell me it's 100 million. Because it's not the whole Gelang Sarai market sell Koropok, you know. A lot of people don't just come here to buy Koropok. So, total addressable market is the interesting part. How the company tell you and how they define their addressable market is extremely important. So if you want to be a better growth investor, you have to be able to see this total addressable market in multiple layers. So it's, this is already quite an established concept. I don't know how many of you guys know, but just go and search total addressable market. You will see this model where there are three circles, where total addressable market, TAM, is the outside, and then there are two more circles inside each other. Right. So the inner circle is serviceable, available market. And then the most inner circle is serviceable, obtainable market. So to give you a little bit more color, I'm going to use an example, right? So let's say we try to understand WeWork's business. Right? WeWork is a co-working space. So what is the total addressable market? You can say that the total addressable market is all the workspaces, 
right? So wherever people work, you think that this is the overall addressable market. Or they can come out and tell you this is the overall addressable market. That one, we will talk about it later. But assuming workspaces is the total addressable market, do you think WeWork can take every single space? A bit hard, okay? Because there are many different permutations under workspace. There's the whole office, there's the building, there's the co-working space which they are playing in. There is the work from home kind of situation where you have that one table, that one Mac, you know, microphone, all that jazz. So there are different, different ways where people work. There are even work passes, cafes, all these different places. So that, you can define that as a total addressable market, yes. But what is WeWork's serviceable, available market, S-A-N? It's actually just co-working spaces. We were, it's not building work-from-home desk. They are not building full-fledged office buildings, right? So they are only doing the co-working space part. So while the possible total addressable market is workspace, yeah, maybe eventually WeWork will expand into like work-from-home setups, fight razor, or it will buy up the whole offices and take over whole of downtown. I don't know, right? Maybe one day that will happen. Highly unlikely. So... With that idea, you look at their serviceable available market, that is co-working spaces only. Okay, so it's a smaller part of the total addressable market. And then where are they? They are even smaller within this scope in their serviceable obtainable market. In other words, right, can they dominate the whole co-working space network itself? Very hard. Very, very hard, okay? Because they need capital, they need operation, they need to squeeze out everyone such that the cost of entry is so low that nobody wants to compete with them. Uh, so highly unlikely, there tends to be a duopoly or an oligopoly, a few major people that will dominate any market. But even then, the total addressable market sounds very big, but how much can they really get? Shrinks very fast when you go through a logical analysis of what's going on. And this is prevalent everywhere. All your tech companies, they always tell you like, oh, our total addressable market, like microchips. Okay, Intel come out and say, oh, our total addressable market is this big. But actually, do they produce 3 nanometer? Do they produce 5 nanometer? They don't. They're not in the space. But yes, the whole market is this big, but they are not actually in the business. So when you look at that, you break it down to what is their serviceable available market. That means the market that they can actually be in. And you break it down one more level to look at their serviceable obtainable market, which means based on their current capital and their capacity, where are they and how much can they get? This gives you the texture to see the whole business. Very important. So why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because uh, most of the founders, they are trying to run growth companies. They are visionaries. They have all these big dreams and big goals. But the practical idea is, uh, can you achieve it now? Within your current situation, do you have the cash to build up the supply chain? Are you actually in the business? All right. So back to the example of WeWork itself. If WeWork next quarter or next next year, they, they suddenly say, oh, we are going to release a WeWork work from home desk setup. Okay, then they have created a whole new supply chain and they are trying to take on a bigger part of this total addressable market under the WeWork brand. So then there is a strategy to attack the whole market. If not, everything is a dream. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, this is the overall market. Yes, yes, very possible. But we are nowhere near. But we will tell you that is the total addressable market. That's the biggest problem that I have with a lot of people evaluating growth stocks. Most of your founders, most of your entrepreneurs, they come out, they will tell you a little bit bigger dream. They need to sell the dream. Their board tell them they need to sell a bigger dream. If not, nobody will invest, right? But as an investor, you want to be more sophisticated, you got to ask yourself, right? Yes, this is the whole market, but how much can you actually get now? And how much can you get in the future? What is the changes into the business that you need to do to actually take on all these additional addressable, quote-unquote addressable market? 
So with this idea or more sophisticated idea of understanding total addressable market, please go and re-evaluate all these other companies and all the people that are telling you, oh, you know, we are trying to do this, uh, this is our uh, overall addressable market. Then you ask yourself, what do they need to get there? How much scale do they need to build up? You know, <laughs> where are they now? Do they actually have a product for that? Or is it just like, oh, potentially we can get there? And I'm not saying that they will never get there, okay? But you have to observe that and be very aware of this idea. So then you can factor that into, you know, the trajectory of the business and evaluate whether the management is being honest with you or are they like a little bit too fluffy and what is actually happening. So yeah, don't just take total addressable market as what it is. People tell you 10 billion, you take as 10 billion. Please go and do a little bit of thinking, break it down, and then, you know, you will become a lot better. So yeah, if you want to learn a little bit more about it, please go and search Total Addressable Market. It's a very developed theory. You know, go and uh, improve yourself. Which brings me to point number two. Point number two of being a better growth investor is you got to watch out for the stickiness of the margins. And I'll elaborate a little bit more afterward from our sponsor. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Okay, point number two, stickiness of margin, okay, or margin stickiness, however you want to put it. Huh? The idea here, why is it important to watch out for margin to be sticky? A lot of people say software companies are asset-like, okay, asset-like, um, high profit, high margin, um, so, you know, you like it, but let me add an additional theory in for you. If you think about it, all companies that have some dominant negotiation power, which means uh, whatever that they're producing, other people cannot produce. Whatever they are doing, other people cannot do, right? They all have very high margins. So when they have very high margins, because they're not selling based on commodities, right? Like, like if I sell you a t-shirt, the other person also sell a t-shirt. It's like, you know, we are all commodities, but we're the same thing. But if a third person sells you a t-shirt with a particular brand that you cannot actually print, and, you know, there's a, a lot of protection against fakes, then okay, and that's a different thing. That's why Nike can sell you expensive t-shirt. Adidas can sell you that. I saw someone on the train the other day. Adidas end-to-end. I was like, are you sponsored? Okay. <laughs> but anyway, so that is a low-level kind of uh, margins, right? Essentially, because of brand, they can charge a lot higher. They've got pricing power. A lot of people, when they look at tech companies, right? Because, okay, why, why point out tech companies? Because a lot of growth companies today are in tech. A lot of people, when they look at tech companies, they always think tech companies are very high margin, asset-like, very, very good for growth and, and what have you. I'm going to put out a statement once again. Uh, I mean, I've talked about this in, in, in other shows, but if you think about it, whatever that is considered high margin is asset-like. So there was probably a time that um, some of these semiconductors were considered asset-like because relative to opening a warehouse or relative to opening a supermarket, they set up this supply chain of building 
microchips, building sem- semi-con stuff, right? The amount that they can make is so much more. So the margin is very high. They're considered asset light. But when the margins start to shrink, then you think like, wow, very heavy yeah, to, to keep up this whole production. You know, and the margins are shrinking. Then you start to say that they're asset heavy. So same for software companies. Software companies today broadly are still considered very asset light because the margins are very high. But as a lot of these softwares become more and more commoditized, you know, you're seeing a lot of software companies able to do what other software companies also can do. Then you start to see the margin shrink, right? And as the margin shrink, you will say that this is asset heavy because the manpower asset that they need to service and keep up with to continue their business yeah, makes them very asset heavy relative to this whole new other sector, I don't know, metaverse or genomics or, or what have you. So instead of seeing a sector and saying that this one sector is asset light or asset heavy, I want you to recognize margins. If the margins are high relative to the cost of operation and cost of production, this is asset light, essentially. When the margins are low, it's considered asset heavy. Okay, so this is something that I think uh, people should kind of change their thinking a little bit. And why is this important as a prelude to the point of margin stickiness? Because in the early days of growth, right, in the early days of a company, or when you're trying to evaluate growth companies, you tend to want to look for the unique guys that are best in class. Other people cannot do whatever that they're doing and they're growing very fast because the market wants it and they can charge very high margins. So with that, right, they have additional float because for every dollar, you have an 80% margin. You know, every dollar you charge, you make 80 cents. My goodness, you use 20 cents to make 80 cents and then you take the 80 cents, put back into your business growth and then you acquire more customer and then the 80 cents keep compounding, compounding, compounding. Wow, that is crazy, right? So high margins, fast growth. That's the power of it, right? And especially when the market is big, there's adoption. That's why a lot of these companies, they fly and they have a period of time where they really fly, their numbers will grow like mad. But if they're in a business where... You know, like software, it's a, it's a very quick cycle. After a while, someone else will do the same thing. Maybe three years, five years, depending on what's the cycle. So then other people can compete, right? They can do the same thing already. This thing becomes less and less special. So it becomes less and less special. The margins start to shrink because other people can also sell the same thing, right? Like if I'm the first guy that sell Prata in London, okay, I can charge you $5 for one piece of Prata. I'm sure you guys have seen that before. You study overseas, you work overseas, you travel, it's like, what the hell? Why is this chicken rice $15? Yes, because they're the only one that sells in London. But after that, there's 20, 30 chicken rice stores coming, right? Okay, it will commoditize, prices will come down. Okay, so same idea. Sell software, also same. Okay, not saying software guys and chicken rice guys, same. Huh? But that's the idea. Margins will shrink. And as margins shrink, it will affect the growth of the business. Because before that, they were 80%. They were growing like crazy because they have a lot of float and a lot of business coming in. But now got competitor. Competitor, take your market share, reduce your revenue, still reduce your margin. My goodness, it's a different situation now. Which is why when you're looking at growth companies, you have to make sure that their margins are sticky. You know? That means if you are evaluating it at 80% or 70% margins, uh, gross margin, then you want to make sure that it stays there. It stays consistent or it, or it stays... At least it does not depreciate too fast. If they start to have to throw in a lot of promo, discount, you know, uh, trying to fight their competitor and the competitor prices keep coming down, they re- keep adjusting their prices. Then you see the margin from 80% to become 60%. Oh, you got to reevaluate your whole model. And then at that point in time, you got to ask yourself, okay, what is the next growth cycle? Can this growth company create a new product that their customer wants and then make that their new growth engine? All right, so... 
check out for margin stickiness. Okay, I think this is one of the great signs of evaluating a growth company. If the margins are held sticky, they tend to have a little bit more runway to go, right? That means competitors are not in yet. But if the margins keep coming down, signal, signal, you know, maybe the growth is not so not so crazy anymore. Right? You gotta ask the company, hey, what's next for you? Alright, so this is something that I always look out for in the margin. How strong are they held? So that's point number two. Which brings me to point number three, and that is smart investor management. Okay, this is super, super, super important. A lot of investors, when they invest in growth companies, right, they always think like, yeah, don't keep diluting us, you know, because every time the company wants to raise money, like recently, C-Limited raises $6.3 billion in the market, some with debt, some with new equity. So every time when these growth companies, they sell equity, they're raising cash. And they raise cash, they dilute you. Okay, you may not be putting in new money. So at first, there's 1 million shares in this company. Then if they sell another 200,000, so now there's 1.2 million shares in this company, but you still own 10 shares. So overall, your fraction of the whole company shrinks, right? So this is share dilution. And a lot of people are very uncomfortable when they see these kind of companies keep selling more equity and raising more money and the investors keep getting diluted. And I will actually agree with you if the company was relatively mature. Like if it's a very mature company already, then you don't want them to dilute unless they have some like big acquisition that they're trying to do. Let's say Walmart wants to acquire Walgreens and then they'll be like, okay, we want to merge. Highly unlikely, like, anti-monopolistic, okay? But let's say, um, what company? Okay, let, let's think of something. Sheng Xiong wants to acquire Deliveroo. I don't know why, but okay. Okay, let's say Sheng Xiong wants to acquire Deliveroo to expand their delivery network so that they can get direct to you, okay? And what do they do? They sell more equity of Sengxiong shares to raise money to invest in Deliveroo. Okay, that one, I think I can understand. There is a reason behind why they do that. But if a company is relatively matured, you don't really want them to liquidate you unless they have a big strategy going forward. Yes. But when you are a growth investor, investing in a company that is trying to grow and get market share and they need a lot of cash to grow, right? What is so wrong of them diluting you? Because they are trying to make more money. And sometimes, right, the valuation is a bit too wild that at that kind of valuation, you know, multiples are like 80, 90, 100 PE. What is wrong with diluting? Sell more lah, because you're already highly priced. So you dilute, get more cash, and then you can grow the market. So as an investor, you got to ask yourself, is it about dilution? Or is it about what is the reason behind dilution? And as they sell more shares and dilute you, how are they investing the money? If the top line growth is going at 30, 40, 50%, revenue growth is growing that fast, margins are held constant, cost of management, cost of the whole operations is held aligned with the growth of revenue. That means you know margins are not moving that much, right? So if that's the case, and the dilution for shareholder is only at 10%, then what, what is so bad? You are diluting yourself at 10%, but the top line growth is at 50%. The pie is way bigger now. Right, so you need to be aware of this. You cannot just see it as, oh, you know, company keep diluting me. I don't really like it. You know, and my portion keeps getting smaller. Is this my PE ratios keep changing? So this is something that I think a lot of retail investors are not aware of and they don't think like that. So ask yourself when you invest in this growth company, which stage are they at? Are they really in a relatively mature stage or are they still in the early stage, what we call the land grab stage where they're trying to get market share, they're trying to grab land, which is why I'm very irritated when Spotify announced a $1 billion buyback of shares. I was like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to buy back your shares so that you can bring up the share price and meet your management goals? Why don't you spend this $1 billion to expand your content so that you can 
you know, win the land grab, fight Amazon, fight Google, fight Apple. What are you trying to do? Why you give back investor the $1 billion? I sold my Spotify position because of that. And I think this is a important thing for a lot of people to recognize. Oh, and I sold some. Like, I, I never sell everything, but I sold some. Okay? And uh, this is not advice, not recommendation. I'm just sharing with you uh, for context sake. So, the right company must perform in the right way. Growth companies must focus on growth. They are young, they are here to grow, they are here to develop, and they should try their best to get good money and more money so that they can burn and grow. The problem is when they burn, when they spend the money, they invest the money, but they don't grow as much. And that's the problem, right? So as an investor, you shouldn't be too uncomfortable with them diluting you by selling more equity. You should be okay with that if their growth on the upside is even bigger than the dilution on the downside. Or if they have a very big strategy that they're trying to adopt and they need a lot of cash, let's say buy out their competitor. What's wrong with buying out our competitor and they you know, dilute you 20%? Hey, then there's no more competitor. They consolidate the market. They can keep their margins and you know they have taken up a bigger pie of the total addressable market. Right? So it's not all a bad thing for dilution. Be very aware of this. Ask yourself as an investor, what are they trying to do? And is it okay for me to be diluted if let's say they're doing something you know, that is going to help me and grow the bigger company and grow a bigger pie? All right? I think that will make you a better growth investor. So I'm going to sum up today the three pointers. Number one is to recognize that total addressable market has different textures. Okay, The whole market can be this big, but how much can the company actually get? So I'm going to read out a little bit more about this. This gives you the context when you're listening to all these founders, listening to all this management, trying to tell you, oh, this is what we're trying to do, this is what we're trying to do. Our big market is this, our big market. But you really ask yourself, is this really the whole market that they can get or is this the dream that they can potentially get and where are they? Where, where, what do they need to get there? Number two is the margins, stickiness of the margins. You want to make sure that their margins, the gross margin, the, the business is held stable, right? You don't want them to have shrinking margins. It's not healthy for their business. It makes it very competitive. It's also a sign that competitors are coming in and you know their, their service is getting extremely commoditized. Not a great sign for any growth company. Number three is you want to see smart investor management. If the valuation of the company is very, very sky high, then the management should sell more shares, right? If the management wants to acquire a competitor, yeah, they should sell more shares. They shouldn't buy back if, let's say, they have a strategy to grow. So as an investor, don't just keep thinking that they are diluting you and it's very good for them to give you back money. No, you're investing for growth and this company needs money to grow and go through the land grab. Okay, so work with these three factors and integrate them into whatever you have already done so far and I hope you become a better growth investor. I hope you learned something useful today. See ya! I hope you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. Join our community telegram group, follow us on our social, sign up for our weekly newsletter. We are doing a weekly newsletter rebooked. We are going to have a lot of information within the newsletter. Everything is in the description below. And if you love us and want to help us grow, definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. Also, if you have any interesting thoughts you want to share or you know someone that we would like to hear from, reach out to us through hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, have a great day ahead. Stay tuned next week and always remember, personal finance can be chill, clear, and sustainable for all. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, 
it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Okay, so yeah, that is for growth stocks. Of course, it is a lot more factors, but these are some things that people don't talk about as much. And I think you, if you want to be a really good growth investor, you have to recognize these things. So yes, any particular growth companies that you want us to talk about, come to our Telegram group, name drop them or email them, let us know, and then we can figure something out and get some people to kind of comment on our TFC Stock Geek Out. So if you have not followed the other podcast, TFC Stock Geek Out, what are you waiting for? Five-star rating, share, intro a friend, you know, help us grow. <laughs> All that jazz, okay? So... By the time you hear today's episode, I will already be abroad. So I'll physically be in Europe. Mm. I'll be in Georgia, Eastern Europe. And I'm going to spend some time there. And I'll share with you more, okay? Next week's episode, we'll talk a little bit more about why I left and what I hope to learn and, and all that jazz uh, while I'm in Georgia. Nice. <laughs>